0: Chapter twenty of the Randolphs by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter twenty Unequal to the Emergency. Your friend, Tom continued in answer to his sister's startled and inquiring look, persists in seeing you to night and at once. No one else will do. What does she want? Is she sick? I think not. At least, she has been about her work as usual. I think she is sick at heart, in trouble, mental trouble, I am afraid. She came to me a few minutes ago, with so worn and sad a face that it hurt me to look at her, and begged me to let her send a boy for you, as she must see you at once. I tried to discover the trouble, but she seemed unable to tell me, and as I feared you might not understand the message, I judged it best to come myself. Will you go over and see what you can do for her?' maria arose composedly and with her intense satisfaction in herself not a whit lessened i will go of course she said though i did suppose i was tired i expect to find nothing more formidable than a broken pitcher or platter to confess you contrive to make those girls of yours mortally afraid of you while they seem very anxious to please you but i do wish she had left her confession until morning it isn't possible that there can be anything so trivial as that. If I thought so, I wouldn't let you go at all. Perhaps it would be as well to send her word that you will come over in the morning, or she may come to you. Maria's only answer was to go in search of hat and shawl, and in a very few minutes to announce herself ready. Arrived at the hotel, she went directly to the room assigned to the girl. That neat little room few chambermaids at hotels or elsewhere have such spots to call their own as was that. It had been one of Ermina's blissful whims to have the servants' rooms at the Randolph house furnished with every appliance of convenience and comfort that the needs of respectable girls could suggest. There was even what most mistresses would call luxuries when they were found in servants' rooms though these same mistresses have a way of recognizing such articles as common necessities when found elsewhere it is safe to conclude maria thought glancing complacently around it as she entered that she never had such comfortable quarters before maria enjoyed her having them she believed in it with all her heart but she wanted people to be sensible of and loyal to the superiority of the randolph house over the rest of the world "'What can I do for you tonight, Maggie?' she said, trying to speak composedly, for the girl was walking up and down the room, and her eyes looked scarcely less fierce and unreadable than they did on that first meeting with her. She could not be half-starved now. What could be the matter with her?' "'Sit down, please. I have something to tell you,' she said in a husky voice, evidently struggling to appear composed and respectful, as became a girl talking to the sister of her employer. Puzzled and half-awed by her manner, Maria took the low chair by the stand and waited in silence for her to speak, which she did not seem in haste to do. She renewed her walk through the room, and Maria studied the flushed face and hungry-looking eyes, and tried to determine what could possibly be the matter. "'Does it rain?' she asked suddenly. "'Yes,' MARIA SAID, MORE ASTONISHED THAN BEFORE. HARD? YES, QUITE HARD. SUCH NIGHTS DRIVE ME WILD, MAGGIE SAID, AND SHE LOOKED AS THOUGH SHE MIGHT REALLY BE WILD. BECAUSE, YOU SEE, I DON'T KNOW WHERE HE IS, NOR THAT HE MAY NOT BE OUT IN ALL THE STORM. IT WAS JUST ON SUCH A NIGHT AS THIS THAT I LOST HIM. WHAT ARE YOU TALKING ABOUT? SAID MARIA, THOROUGHLY AROUSED AND ALARMED sit down maggie and don't walk the floor like an insane woman i think you must be sick you would better let me call my brother and send him for a doctor i am not sick at all maggie said speaking more quietly and bringing a chair she sat down opposite her guest i beg your pardon for frightening you and for sending for you at all but miss randolph i had a new thought a new hope i might almost call it and it seemed to me that you were the one to help me, and I could not resist sending for you. But first I must tell you something about myself. You think I am insane, and I wonder that I am not. What would you think if I told you that somewhere in this great miserable world I have a little boy, a baby, only three years old, wandering up and down in the storm maybe, or lying sick in the gutter, or, I don't know where, dead perhaps, if i could only know that he was how happy i could be what do you think of a trouble like that do you really mean it maria said horror and pain in her voice maggie what can you mean and how could such a thing be maggie laughed a laugh that had no sweetness in it you may as well ask she said and you are dying to ask me a hundred questions why didn't I take care of my boy if I had one, and not let him get lost? Oh, only God knows how I tried. My darling, I did everything, and bore everything for you, and what did it amount to? It isn't a long story, Miss Randolph, to those who are familiar with such things. I could tell you it in one word. It was rum that stole my baby and lost him, and I have been without him for two dreadful years. Now you know it all." but how how repeated maria her face pale with sympathy and dismay tell me about it how could it be and what have you done done i've done everything no i thought of one thing i have not done and i have sent for you to-night to help me do that his father took him took him from his warm little crib out into the night and storm think of that and he was sick too I had run to the doctor's next door for some medicine for him, and when I came back he was gone, and I have never seen nor heard of him since. And don't you wonder that my reason has not gone? But it will not. I will keep that, and I will find him yet. I will never give it up, never!' Maria sat as one stunned. What a strange, terrible story to whirl right into the midst of her quiet, uneventful life! how could such sorrow as that be possible? She began after a little to pour out questions, and Maggie, who seemed to have grown calmer in the telling of her bitterness, answered briefly and promptly every one. Her husband had been a post-office clerk in a neighboring city. They had been very happy once. He only took a spoonful of medicated wine to strengthen him after night work, when he had to sit late making up the books. The doctor had ordered it, "'said, indeed, that he would break down without it. "'I hate doctors,' Maggie said, flashing into a sudden fire, "'then quieting at once and going on with her story. "'Little by little the habit grew, until he was very often exhausted, "'and the wine was soon used without any medication, "'and it ceased to strengthen him, and something stronger was obtained, and—oh, me!' Maria had heard the whole story dozens of times. There wasn't a new feature about it. It was that which is being worked out with every day's history, only it had never come to one with whom she could sit and talk till she could not only know but feel the sorrow. There is a great difference between the two. Helen's tragedy had been cut off in its early days by death. It might have been as terrible as this." It took an hour to tell the story in all its pitifulness, how the drunken father had come just as she ran out. She saw him come and felt no fear, for in his wildest moments he had never been other than loving to the boy. She saw him go out again with a bundle in his arms, and wondered what had been sacrificed now, and hastened home to see, and she found an empty crib. Footnote. Founded on Fact. THE INCIDENT CAME WITHIN MY OWN KNOWLEDGE. PANSY. Footnote. What had been the father's object, where he went or what he did or why he did it, the poor half-wild mother did not know, and could never conjecture. She knew only too well that from that day forth she had seen neither husband nor baby, nor had any trace of them ever come to her, though she had used all ways and means that keen brains and determined wills could devise before the story was concluded the poor mother had talked herself into calmness i was on the very verge of insanity that evening when i came to you she said quietly i can never tell anyone the story of my wanderings nor of the cruel things that were said to me i used to look at happy mothers with their darlings in their arms and think if you knew i wonder what you would say why didn't you tell them and see once i did she answered with a flash in her eyes that told of smothered fire and the woman said the miserable creature is not only intoxicated but crazy she ought to be taken to the madhouse but don't let me talk of it i can't there is one thing i have never done i did not even think of it until this morning when your brother was praying at family prayers you know i have never prayed for him i do not mean that i have not gone down on my knees and cried out wildly to god to give him back to me but that is not the kind of prayer that i mean my prayers are not acceptable to god i am not a christian woman i never have been but i mean to be i want to know now how to be a christian so that i can go to god and pray for my baby and feel sure that he hears and trust him just as your brother does i must learn to pray I did not know who to ask, I cannot talk to a man and tell him my bitter story, but today when I worked with you, and saw how efficient you were, and how prompt to do just the right thing at the right time, it flashed upon me how much I would give to hear you pray to God for my darling, and then I thought you were just the one to help me learn to pray for him myself, and I thought about it, and kept going back to it, until I felt to-night that I had got to see you, now will you help me? imagine if you can how maria randolph felt she had come over there with an assured feeling that whatever was asked of her she was equal to the occasion a sense of superiority a sense of power had possessed her all day and grown upon her with each added call yet here she was asked to pray not only that but asked to show another how to pray she who had never prayed in her life what could she do or say here was this miserable mother devouring her with hungry eyes and with a hope so eager and strong springing up in her poor heart that it seemed a solemn thing to crush it why had she not asked tom how gladly he would have prayed and pointed out the way to her still maggie waited for the answer something must be said must she make the humiliating confession you have come to the wrong one she said at last speaking desperately i don't know how to pray for myself i never prayed in my life what a monstrous admission for a sane woman to make maria felt it as she spoke the words yes i used to pray at my mother's knee but i don't know how now why didn't you ask my brother if there is anyone in the world who knows how to pray it is he and you would find him one to sympathize with you in your trouble, as few people can. Maggie had left her chair and was walking the floor again. "'I felt as if I needed a woman to speak to,' she said. "'I felt sure that you could help me. I thought you were just the one, and you had been so kind to me, kind when everyone else was cruel. I am sorry I troubled you. I should not have sent for you, I suppose, but I felt so sure.' I am awfully disappointed let me call my brother maria said moving toward the door speaking in a low subdued voice she felt utterly humiliated no maggie said not now please i could not explain i cannot talk about it any more it would do no good either what good can praying do you don't believe in it do you yes i do with all my heart i had a mother who prayed and i have a father whom i know god hears and answers yes if there is anything in the world i have unshaken faith in it is prayer then why don't you pray now what was a sensible person to answer to such a question as that in the face of such a declaration as she had just made and upon which she had prided herself maria felt the force of her own folly and was puzzled and embarrassed there really seemed to be nothing to say. Being one who was not accustomed to answer with silence, she said the only thing left to her under the circumstances. I don't know, I am sure. Maggie regarded her fixedly, and something very like a smile hovered about the corners of her drawn mouth. Could it be a derisive smile? I think I was mistaken in you, she said simply. I imagined you were like your brother, only with a certain natural force that drew me, made me feel like resting on you. I thought perhaps you were very high in favor with God. What a strange sentence! It sent a thrill like an electric shot through Maria's sensitive nerves. She was fond of power. She delighted in being leaned upon. She enjoyed reflected greatness. She liked being Tom Randolph's sister and Mr. Harper's sister-in-law. What a thing it would be to be high in favor with God! To be so familiar at court that she could present a friend there, as she had been asked to do this evening, without a fear or doubt as to the result. Yet what a broken reed she had been! She felt a bitter, utterly new sense of humiliation. There came a low, quick knock at the door, and Tom's voice outside. "'Maria, will you stop with us all night?' If so, I will go over and tell father. I am afraid they will be anxious. No, Maria said, rising suddenly. I can't stay. I am coming now. Maggie, let me ask my brother to come in. He can help you. It would not be a suitable thing to do, Maggie said quietly, and there was that strange smile on her face. Don't you know the world would be shocked at such an indecorous proceeding? you see i am shut up to your help to-night or none how true it was tom could not come in there at that hour even to pray with a young and beautiful woman then go to god maria said suddenly and with intense energy i am sorry i cannot help you but because i have shown myself a fool you need not be one go right to him i know my father's god will hear you and help you what a long conference! Tom said when his sister came out to him. It couldn't have been about a pitcher. What did she want, if I may be told? She wanted me to pray with her. Maria's voice was abrupt and hard. Tom was very much startled. And did you? he asked after a few minutes of silence, during which it appeared that she had no more to tell him. What a foolish question! she said bitterly, whatever else I may be, I am not a hypocrite. He was still until they were crossing the road. Then he said, What do you think of your ability to follow out the orders of your motto now? It cannot be possible that you think when a waiting soul asks you to pray, Christ does not say to you, Do it. She answered not a word, but it was a new sting. She had forgotten her motto, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it she had boasted of her ability to follow it had she she went into the house and up to her room in utter humiliation End of chapter twenty